Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another roundtable episode of We Need to Talk. Today, we are discussing the impact of COVID-19 on the school system and the future of education in America post-pandemic. Today, I am joined by four, in my opinion, true American heroes. First, we have Sal Williams. He's an ELA teacher and senior advisor and teaches 12th grade AP Lit and senior seminar. Hey. And we have Tim Leslie, who is an adjunct professor at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and an adjunct professor at the University of the West. Hey. Next, we have Jennifer Zelazny. She's a former fourth grade teacher, and she's the current community school coordinator for Alta Loma Elementary School. Hello. And last but not least, we have my sister, Jamika Thrasher, who is a fourth grade teacher. Hello. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm very excited to share your your thoughts and your views on everything that's happening. I know the last few months have been exhausting, to say the least, for for teachers. And um, I really want to get people a firsthand account of what exactly you guys have been going through. So let's just go back a few months when uh, the pandemic happened, when we were all quarantined, when we had to switch to online teaching. Um, Sal, I'll start with you. What was your first reaction when you knew that everything had to go online? My first reaction was panic. One of the big things that I do as a senior advisor is walk the kids, um, the students through the college application process, the college selection process, sit down with the families and talk about financial aid. And it's been easy. And I put easy in quotes because I've been able to do it face-to-face with families. So then having a transition to make all these really important decisions over Zoom um, was very difficult. And then also because the seniors are my little babies, just the heartbreak that I felt um, knowing, you know, they won't get prom, their graduation yeah. looks non-traditional. So it was fear and and heartbreak, truly. Mm-hmm. And Jamika, what about you? You have little ones, you have fourth grade students. So I imagine that that was very difficult. For me, it was also panic. It was crazy because I'll never forget, it was March 13th because I took that day off of work because I was burned out and I needed a break. And that was the day where they were like, we're sending the kids home, like school's shutting down, everything has to go on. And I wasn't there. So I felt bad already for not being there in the first place. And then it was like, okay, I'm texting the sub, I'm making phone calls, I'm trying to make sure they take things home. So it was just, I didn't really have time to like comprehend what was going on because I just had to get back into teacher mode because that Monday, like that next Monday, the 16th, it was like, okay, we're online. And so it was just a lot of me texting coworkers and trying to make sure families were okay and did the kids take their Chromebooks home. So it was just a lot of panic and stress and hustle. No, absolutely. And Jennifer, with what you do, how did your rea- what was your reaction? Well, this is a new position for my school. So my job as community school coordinator, we just got awarded a grant to be a community school and that's what I'm running this year. So my job is to bring community resources into the school. And because it was a new job and I was in the middle of writing some grants at that time, I wasn't really paying too much attention to the news. I'm obviously I knew about COVID. I've been teaching for LA Unified for 17 years. We've shut down one day, once. So wow. when they said they were shutting down for two weeks, I really thought it was going to be two weeks. I couldn't imagine the school shutting for more than two weeks. And I I know that sounds naive and and almost dumb now, but I really thought we'd be back in two weeks. So. Our school is very collaborative. We all pitched in and got packets and work sent sent for the kids, but we didn't send the textbooks home because we really believed we'd be back in two weeks and we try not to send things that could get lost or uh, damaged home. And so um, we pitched in and got everyone on their account, email accounts and everything as much as we could 
but we really did not know we would be gone for this long. Yeah. Indefinitely at this point. And so I felt really blindsided and I felt very angry because that Tuesday, the following Tuesday, so March 13th was a Friday, Friday, the 13th, then we Saturday, Sunday, Monday, by Tuesday, Governor Newsom had let it slip that maybe schools would be closed through May or June. And I thought someone knew Mm -hmm. and they could have told us so we could have sent everything home with the kids. Yeah. So it was a mixture of disbelief and anger. Yeah. I'm going to get back to that in a second, but Tim, because you teach at the college level, how was the uh, response when, when everything was shut down for you? Um, I also had my own version of kind of shock and panic because teaching adjunct for two different schools means they have their separate timelines for semesters and their whole separate policies. So part of my panic was I'm going to at some point probably confuse how they want to handle this and how it's going to roll out because one school was better set up for doing online. They were already kind of hybrid with some of their programs. Mm-hmm. The other school had no experience whatsoever with doing anything online. So they're building it from the ground up. <laughs> so trying to learn those like policies and procedures and dealing with anxious students. And one school has a really heavy international student population. So some of them are thinking like they can't even be in the country anymore. They have to go home and how we're going to incorporate them into our lesson plans and all these things. It was um, kind of chaotic, um, to say the least, when everything I, first rolled out. Yeah, I can't even imagine. So, Jennifer, I want to go back to something you said. You said that you felt like they knew. How unprepared did you guys feel when this happened? <laughs> Completely I unprepared. I don't think there are words to really to say it. Um, teachers spend so much time planning for mm-hmm. one lesson right right for one week for a school year to have two weeks of packet set up and then suddenly have to go online and one of the things the district i teach in is um you know high needs and the school i teach in is very high needs 98 percent title one many of our parents had filled out the survey that they had access to the internet. We Uh survey them every year. Do you have access to the internet? Yes. And what they meant was on their cell phone. Mm. Yeah. So we passed out 75 iPads and uh, Chromebooks within about two weeks. We were like, yes, we're getting the Chromebooks. We're getting, and then we're getting calls like this isn't working. Mm -hmm. Oh, you need internet. Well, we have internet. Well, who's your provider? Sprint. Okay. Let's take a step back. We're going to have to get you hotspots. Right. You know, so um, we had my staff and and students, my principal, teachers, staff, down to the TAs, worked incredible hours. A lot of our parents worked till 9, 10 o'clock at night. Teachers were fielding calls late at night. And um, we we had a, a TA go to people's houses, and they would leave their iPad outside on the front step, and she would walk up, and she would fix it for them or get them set up. And then she would leave it back on the front step, walk six feet away and they would open the door and take the iPad. I mean, we were really doing everything we could. And then at the same time, facing the press and all this anger that we weren't doing enough. Right. The feeling that. Which teachers already feel that way anyway. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So Jamika, did you feel like there was a lack of support? I know you, uh, you've you chosen not to say where you work and I completely respect it. <laughs> Do you feel that there was a lack of support from your superiors when it came to figuring out how to continue your curriculum, how to do an online class, what to give your students? Just talk a little bit about that and like the pressure you felt as far as planning classes online. I felt like I was thrown into the deep end and I clearly don't know how to swim. Hmm. And it was just like, try. I don't feel like I was given support as far as 
or just making sure like that they had the technology, like Jennifer was talking about, just having the internet. That was an ordeal in itself. And then, okay, third through fifth graders have Chromebooks, but what about the little ones? What about the kinder, first, second? Or the families that are, you know, they the parents have to work from home. They've got six children in the house. They're sharing one computer. Like there were so many factors that weren't thought about. And it was just like, well, well, you have to call every family. You got to make sure they're logging in. And it's like, we don't even know what's going on at home. And you want me to harass these families and call them every day? Like it was just so much. Mm-hmm. I felt angry a lot of the time. Right. Right. Sal, you're shaking your head yes, and so you must be having a similar <laughs> situation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what everyone said, you know, not knowing how to plan virtually, getting kids um, and families access to technology, and then also um, the political aspect of it, right? Um, I work at a school in the Bay Area, I won't say the name, just as well. Um, and everything I'm saying, allegedly, I don't need any cease and desist letters, um, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, but seeing... LA shut down, San Diego shut down, San Francisco shut down. And we're sitting here like, you think the virus is gonna skip us? We're, we're a large city as well. And just, it was only about two weeks between LA shutting down and us shutting down. But in that two weeks, I just think we could have prepared so much better, right? Like LA shut down like that. We had yeah. the two weeks, we could have pivoted best practices, even talking to our, our colleagues in LA and people were, see you tomorrow, smile, nothing's going bad. Um, and the same kind of conversations as we're reopening before mm-hmm. um announced, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, Tim, obviously, I would think, though, that you, you didn't have the same issues in, at the college level as far as, like, not having internet or a laptop. But what are, were some of the issues that you faced with your students? Yeah, a lot of the students I dealt with is because they have so many different professors that do things differently. Mm. Um, it was kind of an adjustment for them to get used to all these different teaching styles that emerged because we were kind of like everybody else rushed into teaching online. They kind of told us over the weekend, they said, hey, you know, this one weekend, either you can do something online or you can do something um, remote where they just kind of work on their own. And and then from there, we're going to go ahead and plan things on. But they literally gave us like two days, two or three days to prepare for one of the schools. And I felt bad for the students because a lot of schools, a lot of students can't learn remotely like that. They need somebody there to help keep them accountable and they want to see the people that are instructing and, you know, have that kind of engagement. So it creates a lot of pressures for educators to have to stay connected with the students. What do you think the biggest thing people aren't realizing as far as what you guys do in during a pandemic like this? Because I, I know I see a lot of, you know, I'm very active on Twitter and very active on social media. And I know people want their kids to go back to school, but I feel like they're missing the bigger picture. But even just at the respect of teachers and what you guys have had to do. So just anybody can jump in and say, what do you feel like people are missing? I feel like they think we're overpaid babysitters. I don't think they really understand. We went to college for this. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like we have degrees in All this. Times. This is our career. We take this seriously. I'm not here to just watch your children while you go to work. This is my job. I'm here to educate your children. I'm giving them the tools that they need so they can go out in the world and be successful. Mm-hmm. And it, we're just not given the respect that we deserve at all from right. the students, from the parents, from the administrators, from the government. Like it's all over the place. Right. right. Yeah, just, see, we're not respected. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing adding on to that too. People don't really see all the work that goes on outside of the classroom to have to, all the things that, like, aside from lesson planning too, there's a whole myriad of responsibilities educators have yeah. that don't yes. love being in a room with the students. I also Jennifer, think yeah. that um, as a society, as a nation, we have never really prioritized education in the way mm-hmm. we should. Um, I read somewhere which industries are technically 
considered essential workers, like the communications industry is technically an essential worker industry. So they have contingency plans for all kinds of emergencies with the federal government, right? Uh, trucking industry, the food service industry, all of those have contingency plans. Educators are technically with the government, not considered essential workers. Mm-hmm. So there are no contingency plans for when schools can't operate. Right. And so we aren't getting any kind of support from the federal government and um, or guidelines or practice. Now, I know we I have I was just telling my daughter at dinner, I have practice for an active shooter drill, earthquakes, fires. We've trained for chemical spills. Um, We have trained for all kinds of emergency uh, tornadoes. I've trained for all kinds of emergency situations in the classroom. Yeah. But you mm. take the structures of the school away. And I I have not, I mean, now I've been trained. I will say LAUSD has rolled out quite a few trainings for teachers and I've taken advantage of them and they've been great. But this was, we literally went overnight into a whole new world. I had Zoomed one time in my role <laughs> as a community coordinator, never in my role as a teacher. And now it's your entire life. (laughs) Um, So let, I want to talk about the government now. And then I know you, I'm sure (laughs) sounds like, Oh, I'm ready. Why do you think that there is such a lack of uh, priority put into education when they come to teachers for everything and kids are able to get meals at school, kids are able to get counseling at school, they can do extracurricular activities, everything, but there's never a priority put into education. And I know that it comes from the top. And I'm curious your thoughts, as anybody's thoughts as to why you think that is. So not being a super political guy myself in the sense of I can't name all the congressmen and, and lawmakers, I would imagine a lot of them had access to privilege and access to private schools. Um, and if you have to think further than that, you have to address systemic racism, you have to address um, schools with inequitable access to resources. And mm-hmm. so I think the people that are making these decisions just kind of fall back to like what their schooling was like. And I'm making huge generalizations, right? But but there, it's fair. It's fair to say. Yeah. Um, you know, in I teach in Silicon Valley. And so the schools are day and night difference from one block to the next, just everything. It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't think we value children enough. Mm. Let's go, let's go back to prenatal care, to maternity leave, to access to preschool. If we had that foundation, then we can talk about how we don't value education. We don't value women at a level that we need to. It goes to that. We don't value women's bodies and their autonomy. Mm-hmm. We don't value how they take care of, are able to take care of their babies and giving enough time for um, time off from work to do that as much as other um, industrialized nations do. And it starts from there. And so now we really do know how valuable we are as <laughs> babysitters. Right. Let's be real because. The economy is suddenly now dependent on us. We're not babysitters and we're not paid like babysitters because babysitters would make a lot more money. $10, $20 a kid, yeah. let's start. Yeah. Dream, dream. Mm-hmm. Per yeah. kid. So per kid, yeah. <laughs> I think as a nation, we need to go back all the way to conception and, and talk about how we value 
the role of a mother and a family and taking care of children from the start. Right. Right. And we, I mean, you, you see in the past with so many school shootings that there isn't a value put on children's lives because they won't even change gun laws to protect children. And instead they're having you do gun drills, which that shouldn't be something that a child should have to experience when they go to school. Why should you know how to defend yourself from a school shooter? When I heard that they started doing gun drills, I'm like, this is where we're at in America. Really? This is not what kids should be worried about, you know? And it's sad that um, one of my friends that has a kid, her child said to her, it's like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about a school shooting since we're home from the pandemic. That's terrible. This is the first time we haven't had any, this is the longest we've gone without a school shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think people need to consider it too with the education and what it actually means for children and kind of how valuable it is. It's not just that they have to learn certain skills or get certain things, is that hopefully the children are going to outlive us. We need to equip them so that they can live and survive when we're not here anymore. That's right. part of what education is. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Jamika, what are your thoughts? Oh, I agree with everything that all three of them have said. <laughs> it, I'm just sitting here like nodding my head. Yeah, yet. yeah. Because uh, this is not a so value. So there's so many factors. What Jennifer said, I read a quote yesterday. I can't think of it exactly, but it was talking about how teachers don't get paid as much as they should because the nation doesn't respect like the work of women this is predominantly a field for women dominate so like teachers nurses they don't get paid what they should get paid because it's like a women dominated field mm-hmm. and what Sal said was touching upon like the systemic racism mm-hmm. and everything I agree with all of it. there's so many factors and it's kind of like no one wants to talk about it everything just kind of gets brushed under the rug right right so let's okay. let's look into the future a little bit going back to school do you do any of you see there being a safe way to go back to teaching the way that you were before this pandemic happened i guess it would just depend on what's going on with this virus um i'm just appalled that some schools are opening like kids are required to have vaccinations before they can even enter into school right so now we have vaccinations for this have one but you want to just let everybody come back all willy-nilly like something's not like we could die we don't want that right right it comes down to like we have to put our health first and there's people arguing about that like i'm telling you i don't want to go back because i don't want to die and there's like oh but we need you guys to open i have to go to work yeah so i don't know if there's a safe way to open up schools i guess it all just depends on where this virus goes right i don't think we should be in a rush to reopen Mm -hmm. I'll say one of the schools that I work at, only because the class sizes are really super tiny. Like I have one class I teach that has four students. Like in a class that small, sure, we could probably be spaced out enough where it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But the other places where I teach where there's a regular class size, there's no way. Right. So what were you going to say? Oh, Jennifer, go ahead. Say, we want to use our. I think there's a lot of personal stuff. responsibility. I think there's a lot of personal responsibility with this. Um, when you go down the street and you see five people without a mask, you go to a park and people aren't wearing masks. If people really wanted to open up the schools, wear your mask. Right. The same people who are whining and complaining that we can't open the schools are often (laughs) the same people who are like, well, I don't want to wear a mask. Right. Wear the mask and we can go back to school because other countries have gotten this virus down to levels where it would be safe under, you know, modified conditions to go back. 
which is so frustrating to see. And it's almost embarrassing as, as powerful as the United States is that we are so behind in, in, in figuring this out. We, we can't, we can look at so many, I mean, New Zealand, I would say is like the number one example that they just got the entire virus gone pretty much because of the measures that they took to protect people. And it is unfortunate that life in general really isn't valued. We talk about children's life, but I just think life in general is valued. I think it really uh, comes down to, you know, capitalism and keeping the economy growing and people care more about making money that they actually do keeping people alive. Um, Sal, you were going to say something earlier. I didn't want, I didn't want you to get cut off. You were making Oh yeah. I was just saying that people are willing to use our, our kids as test subjects, right? Like mm-hmm. let's open up the school. And if it doesn't work, I mean, that's, that's our kids. And I think one of the things that's getting lost in the conversation just, just nationally is um, the potential mental strain it could take on a teacher. If I'm waking up every day and I have to go in person knowing I am potentially exposing my kids to, to if I'm asymptomatic or, or, or coming home and then having to navigate my responsibility as a teacher and then my civic duty to stay home as much as possible, I think, right, like, teachers need to be taken care of so that kids can be taken care of. We can't be yeah. effective teachers if we're stressed out in the classroom operating at 10, 10% capacity. And you're already stressed as it is. I mean, yes. you yeah. guys, teachers make so many sacrifices and, and they invest so much of their own resources and their own money to make their um, teaching experiences and the learning experiences for the kids as valuable as possible. So it, it really does say something about um, people's views of teachers and education that they're willing to just put everybody's lives at risks. And for, for, for what though? For I mean, what? I remember, I remember reading what the mortality rate would be. It's like, so you're actually willing to risk that amount of children dying just to reopen schools. That's heartbreaking to me. I mean, but it's not surprising at the same time, because again, we go back to the school shootings and it didn't make a difference then. So I don't see why it would make a difference now. I, I mean, I also think there are valid concerns that parents have, like, how will I pay my mortgage? For sure. For sure. Um, and, and if you have a mortgage, if you're lucky enough to have a mortgage, you're actually in a good position because you could always put your mortgage payments to the end, you know, push off payments. They could refinance in a way that you could have more payments in the long run after we get through this. I know people are really afraid of losing their apartments and finding rent and finding, having to move and finding jobs. I mean, these are all putting food on the table. Um, as a community school, we partner with a church. They provide us with 100 bags of groceries. They also have a drive-up grocery situation, but we have at least 100 families that do not have cars. And so I have parent volunteers and teachers volunteering all summer long to deliver these groceries every week to our families who need them. You know, I don't. I can't even imagine the stress if you're worried about how you're going to hold on to the job you have in this economy, in this situation right. where every job is held on with a thread, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's a frontline job or a blue collar job or white collar job. I mean, all jobs are at risk right now, pretty much, right, including teachers jobs. And so um, there's that stress. And then you're thinking, now, what do I do with my kids? I'm barely holding on to my job as it is, or Mm -hmm. I'm barely getting my work done. And now I'm supervising my kids at home while they're trying to get their work done. And I can't concentrate on my job and my bosses on, on my case about it. And so I think, I mean, it is, hard to believe people want to put their kids back in school, but it's not that they want to put their kids back in school to expose them. 
they're afraid of losing their jobs. They're and worried so, about their own livelihood for sure. You can never lose sight of that because I think all parents want what's best for their kid and what's best for their kid is having a safe shelter and food Yeah. at some point. And so what I, what I really get frustrated with, I'm on a lot of parenting boards and what I really try to put out there is we all have to have a lot of grace for everyone in this situation. Yeah. And we're all in the same team and we have to find out ways to work on that same team together. The hard part is we don't have the structures in place as a nation. We don't really have the culture in place as a nation to (laughs) work collaboratively. Right. Jamika, how have you seen this affect the way your students learn? How have I seen it affect the way my students learn? Yeah, I mean, so you have to do Zoom class. You've had to do Zoom class. I know you're on summer break now, but how did did you see that this shift changed the way that they learned or paid attention or did their assignments or anything like that? It was very, I would say every day was different because, you know, so my, I have 32 students in my fourth grade class. I would say on a given day, I would have anywhere from nine to 17 kids log in Mm. I think 17 was the most I ever had because you know they're at home yeah I don't know what's going on at home I can't force them to log in I can only do what I can do but it was just very up and down so you know the ones that paid attention in class were the ones that pretty much logged in let's Mm -hmm. just be real yeah Um, but it's just they it's just so hard because that's a lot of screen time for little ones. Yeah. And then on top of that, they're not getting like the social interactions with their friends. So it's just, it's just so much. It's almost exhausting just thinking about it. No, for sure. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be the new norm for them. I hope it's not. Right. But yeah, it was, it's just difficult. Just getting them, just getting them to log in is an ordeal. Is in is, yeah, for sure. So, and then with so many oh, things so go going on. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's just difficult for, like Jennifer was saying, everyone's. Going it affects everybody. It yeah. really does affect everybody. And I, I personally don't know a, a, a positive solution or for anybody. It's hard for teachers. It's hard for the families. Like, I mean, I think the one plus for you guys, at least, is that parents are now seeing how their kids are. So when you tell them, they know you're not lying. Um, so I think that that's probably a positive, but it is difficult for everybody to have to deal with. Um, Sal, for you, because you, you work with seniors, do you yeah. think that the juniors are going to be prepared going into their senior year or how much do you think that that impacted um, their, just their learning for their, for the last few months of their junior, their junior year? I mean, I think I, I don't have an answer to that. Right. I mean, everything from canceling state testings, right. Um, for so long, the SAT ACT was this like um, ticket into colleges. And now that we've canceled it and the junior class will be the first class that goes through that process um, colleges making a lot more of allow a lot of allowances for uh, grades to be passed, no pass. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting um, what happens. I know for myself, I kind of took a step back from content um, towards the end of the pandemic and really just tried to do the social emotional aspect. And I know um, Jamika was talking about kids not logging into Zoom. That's where you know I stepped out of the teacher comfort zone. I was stalking these kids on social media, left, right, <laughs> center, like, how you doing? Let me know. You know, I, if I don't hear from you in one platform, I'm going to bug you in all five other platforms. <laughs> <better fall on. laughs> right, uh, right. But that was, I think, a uh, crisis management perspective. We're going into the year 
intentionally teaching virtually. And I don't know how that's going to play out if it'll be harassing them on social media or just, you know, if you come to zoom, you get the content. If you don't, you don't, we move on. Like I, this year is very scary. Yes. Have any of the schools that you work at come up with a sort of plan for the fall? Yeah. One of my schools just already decided, like I said, they have international students. They're all, they're just going to be online because some people aren't even back in the country right now and they can't Mm -hmm. come back. They can't come back. Um, Right. Yeah, right. the other school, like they have this kind of tentative kind of thing where they said some of the former classrooms are going to be like workspaces and some of them will be actual classrooms. And I think they're determining which classes make sense to do that with. Probably okay. the smaller ones will be the ones to go back mm-hmm. um, and do that in person. And so they can kind of have everybody spaced out and not have too many people in the actual building when school's in session. Are they requiring masks? Um, that I know of, I think they are. But the plan was kind of really vague and kind of sparse. And part of me was really hoping that they have the core faculty get involved in that and that put their adjuncts at risk because the core faculty get that information more regularly than the people who just come to teach. Right, right, right. I'm still waiting on my district to make a decision. The last mm-hmm. I heard, they presented a like a hybrid program to the board. That was like a few weeks ago. But now since the governor had said he suggests that schools start online, they're having another board meeting on Monday. So hopefully I'll find out Monday what I'm doing exactly. Okay. Yeah, same, same, same kind of same boat as Jamaica. Okay. Jennifer? Um, LA Unified is 100% online for the fall semester, which is a huge relief um, as far as personal safety and the safety of our students. Um, we are currently, to d- yesterday and today, negotiating for our actual working conditions, like the number of hours will be on Zoom, the number of hours the kids will be required to, attendance policies, all of that will be released probably sometime next week or the week after. Uh, my principal sent us off at the end of the school year in June with the mission to plan for remote only because we could come into, I could come into a classroom tomorrow and teach. Put me in front of a live desk, live children, or, you know, I can teach without um, that kind of intensive planning, but um, to teach online requires that. So he's asked us all to just prepare for the worst and prepare for online only. And so that's what our teachers are doing. And we've been collaborating all summer long. I mean, it's almost like we don't have a summer this summer because everybody is uh, researching, watching different uh, YouTube trainings, collaborating online with all different colleagues from around the world who are doing this already. and it's exciting because we will have um, some new tools to use and hopefully we'll be more engaging and, and um, more effective. Realistically, how many more hours do you think you all have put in being online during this pandemic than you did when you were just teaching in the classroom? We put in a lot before. Right, you know, right. Before this, I was working on the weekends when I get home, I'm thinking about stuff in the shower. And <laughs> right. so that was before. So now it's just... I don't think I've ever worked as hard as I have these last few months. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, a I, lot. And like Jennifer was talking about like, I'm just like Jennifer. You put me in a classroom, I could walk in there right now. I know fourth grade, like the back of my hand, but the online stuff requires so much extra planning on top of just knowing what your content you're teaching. It's, it's a lot of hours. I don't, couldn't even give you a number, honestly. Yeah. I was just going to echo what, um, what your sister was saying. Um, I just stopped kind of setting <laughs> a personal time for myself because I love working with older students, but they immediately become the default babysitters. Um, if, if the family has to work, oh, they, immediately yeah. are, they immediately are picking up more, more shifts at their part-time job. So for me, it's like, 
whenever the kid reaches out to me, I'm going to respond. And there were many times um, in May that it would not be uncommon to get a kid texting me at 11, 11.30 at night because they just got off work asking me for their homework. Um, and, you know, it just kind of, it became the new normal, um, but it did mean kind of just making sure you're available around the clock. And I know that's like the first thing they tell you not to do as a teacher, yeah. set up personal boundaries, but I just... I didn't know how to roll otherwise. It's an impossible situation. I mean, it's so unprecedented. So, and for them as well, I mean, I'd even think about that aspect of the older kids probably becoming the babysitter for the younger kids. Well, so the parents could have to work. I mean, yeah, it, the whole situation just affects everybody in such a negative way. It's Tim, an what about, emotional uh, labor. It's yes, emotional absolutely. Kind of absolutely. Um, we're not, you know, cleaning classrooms and, and moving books around and all that, but it's an emotional labor, the worry. Yeah. Tim, what about you as far as workload? Um, definitely available, like it at least doubled at the very beginning. Um, like what Jennifer was saying too, it's like a real emotional kind of labor because part of part of the um, population that I teach are people that are training to become therapists. Um, so I'm really kind of worried about them having all the skills that they need professionally to be able to support people, especially now, because some of them are graduating and I'm like, well, this is the world you're going into. So I need to make sure you're ready. Right. Um, but also it's like, yeah, there's just people to have life circumstances. Life will throw you kind of curveballs. And I'm like trying to check in on students, make sure that they have everything they need and just their day-to-day life so that they can focus on learning. Cause you know, people were having people die and like starting families and relocating all these other kind of things coming on that legitimately will take your attention away from school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also don't want them to fail because of that stuff um, that kind of happened. Cause it's a little bit harder to check in on them when you don't see them. Cause sometimes they will come up to you, you know, after class and say, Hey, you know, professor, I have a difficult time, whatever, but they're not inclined to do that over video because once I click end and everyone gets logged out. Right, right. Well, I want to go back to the personal responsibility comment that you made, Jennifer, because I know for me, just being in the music industry and having my industry can be completely shut down right now, it's very frustrating when I do see people not taking it seriously because I fully believe if everybody complied, and I also think we did open up too early as far as the state goes, but that's another conversation. But I do fully believe that if everybody just complied, that we could get past this a lot sooner. So how often do you find yourself calling people out? If you see them like posting on Instagram or posting on Facebook and you're like, hey, you're not wearing a mask. Like, do you find yourself calling people out just from a a point of being upset and being angry and knowing that the reason you're still online is because of behavior like that? A little bit. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with someone who said they take their mask off. They, they go to the gym, but they only take their mask off when they're on the treadmill running really hard because it's very hard for them. And I thought, well, that's exactly the most dangerous time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that just made me really upset when they opened the gyms and the bars because I thought, where are our priorities? Right, right. You can still walk and jog out, outside safely. So you don't need to go to a gym in the same way that kids need to go to school. Right. You don't need to go to a bar. I wish our government would just pay the gym owners, stay shut, pay the bar. <laughs> right. Other you. countries are paying people a decent amount to stay home. Yeah. 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 I do feel like I have conversations with people about what kind of safety precautions are taking if they are kind of out and about. 
just because I just know from my perspective, I tend to be pretty healthy. I've been fortunate to have good health most of my life. And I could very easily be that person that is asymptomatic and hearing yeah. it and it infects a bunch of people. So that's what I'm kind of worried about when I see people out and about is just because you're not sick doesn't mean you can't spread it. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing that people are forgetting, that there are so many asymptomatic people. And that's another thing with going back into a classroom that's very scary is that I mean, I don't know if kids are asymptomatic. I don't know if there's as many cases of them being asymptomatic, but that is a huge issue. And I mean, I'm even thinking about kids getting back on a school bus together and how dangerous that could be for the younger kids. I mean, I don't know at what age people stop riding the school bus, but that in itself is a problem. So you're going, taking it from the bus to the classroom, spreading it to the teacher, going on the, the yard or going to lunch. And it, it just, it's going to keep being a domino effect of just cases and cases and cases if we don't take the personal responsibility to nip this thing in the bud. And just think about how many people are on a school campus at any mm-hmm. given day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, just me being in my classroom and I have 32 students, that's a lot right there. I'm one classroom of maybe 25 other classrooms. Then there's the cafeteria staff and there's people in the office. There's people coming in and out all the time. There's so many people on a school campus and that, so the fact that they, they would even want to reopen just boggles my mind. And then you don't know who's bringing what from home, where they've mm-hmm. been, and now they're coming on the campus. It's just a lot. Yeah. It's a chain reaction. And no one exactly. 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 We also have no idea how this virus really affects children. Let's face yeah. it. Since March, most children have been locked up. So this yeah. idea that it, do- it doesn't affect children, well, we don't really we don't have know. an accurate picture of that because most of right. us have kept our kids pretty, mm-hmm. pretty close to home. And it could, I mean, it could be deadly and that's what's scary. Mm-hmm. Don't really Sal, know. Sal said this earlier, he was saying they're willing to use the kids as kind of like the test subjects. Yes. Oh, let's just open up and see what happens. See what happens. And I also saw a school in Washington, which really upset me. And people didn't really understand why I was upset, but that they were going to allow the, um, they called them underprivileged students to go first because they called, they were trying to word it as they were the priority because they, you know, may need help with learning. And I'm like, no, this is a form of systemic racism because you're basically sending the black and the brown children back to school first to see what happens. You bring up such a great point because it's also like, you know, I, I work at a, at a school that's predominantly serves low-income kids. And it's like, these are also the communities that have questionable access to healthcare. And it's like, COVID is disproportionately affecting those communities and these blanket statements of like, let's just open up, let's just open up, let's just open up. Well, you know, that's fine for, I hate to go back to private schools, but that's fine for the private school kid who has access to, you know, the the pediatrician and the doctors or whatever. But what about these other folks that don't? Yeah, but it's exactly what you said. They are being used as test experiments to see what happens. And I, I hope that people wise up and realize that it's, we need to not open up these schools so quickly. Um, But before we wrap up, I'd love to hear from each of you um, what you would like to see happen in the next few months and what kind of support you personally need from your specific school district. So Jimmy, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, I really hope my district decides to just start online. That would make me feel a lot safer. Um, We've even suggested... um, if we start online, that the teachers can still work out of their classroom, so we're not having to bring everything home, but just not have the students on campus. Um, what was the other part of your question? I'm sorry. Now I, I'm blanking because I was so I was interested in listening. Yes. How, what support do you need from from your oh, district? 
um, I just need some time. Like, I don't want to be thrown into it again. Like what happened in March, I would love just some, a couple of weeks to just kind of plan and wrap my head around what's going on. Cause I'm still like spinning from March, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. So time and support, like okay. emotional support. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm still a human being. I still have stuff going on outside of teaching. Right. And I just need them to be more understanding. Which, before I get to the next person, I want to point that I think that people don't think teachers have lives outside of teaching. It's crazy to me that you wouldn't think like, oh, I'm somebody's, you know, partner, husband, wife, or best friend, or somebody's child, or I like to play basketball, or I like to cook on the weekends. Like people truly, truly think that teachers are just that. And that's what they do all the time. So I personally would love for people to, like you said, you're a human, you have feelings, and you're going through this pandemic, just like everybody else is. And it can't just be your responsibility to only take care of other people's kids, even without a pandemic, <laughs> you know? Um, so Jennifer, what uh, would you like to see happen in the next couple of months and how, what kind of support do you feel that you need from LAUSD? Um, I'm actually fairly comfortable with what LAUSD is doing right now. I feel Great. like everybody is working really hard and um, it's taking time because I feel like they're being thoughtful in the Good. process. And I know my union especially is uh, hecka strong. So I'm very happy and comfortable with that. What I would really like to see is um, everyone take a deep breath before they communicate with each other to say, I'm going to be, as a teacher, I'm going to be flexible with these parents and families and understand that they are not doing this at me. It is not personal. We are in the crisis of our generation, all of our generations, our lifetime. and. as parents take a deep breath this teacher isn't neglecting you on purpose or ignoring you or whatever you feel it's a it's an emotional reaction ask questions if if parents and teachers could really seize this opportunity to communicate and say what they need for each other from each other as best as possible within the parameters of online um, this is the chance if your child needs to catch up no other time is this teacher going to be so invested in mm. helping that child. If I had, and I don't even have a class right now, but if a parent came to me and said, please help my child, I'm going to Zoom with your kid. I'm going to send them extra resources. I'm going to help them everything I can because I'm so grateful to be safe at home. Mm. And I, if we could just do that, those kids who show up, Show up for your teachers and they will show up for you like never before because we can help you one on, not necessarily one on one on Zoom. There's some legalities, but we can really invest time in helping the kids who show up right now and ask for the help you need. Ask for the resources you need because um, I feel like everybody is really committed to providing. And if we could communicate with each other and not personalize the situation, we could really go far. Great. Tim, what about you? So as far as kind of going back and kind of what it looks like, I mean, I'm really hoping that they stick with the online piece as much as possible, Um, especially because I'm training future therapists. I think it's actually a good experience for them to get exposure to what it's like to work with people online because a lot of them are really afraid of telehealth, but all the therapists were essentially forced into this and have been continuing to be successful doing this. Um, So it's a good opportunity for them to get the experience of what it's like and getting used to the glitches and stuff like that. Um, But as far as support, 
I'm kind of begin with the mental health piece. I really want them to normalize that it's okay for people to seek support, kind of whatever that may look like, because that emotional piece is really important. Teachers go through a lot. People are losing family and friends to the, um, to the virus, and all these changes are kind of affecting people. Like, I've seen people post things about, like, oh, like, my 30th birthday was ruined, or I can't have the wedding that I wanted, or I can't have this, because we're kind of forced to be indoors. So being able yeah. to have the outlet to talk to somebody about all these outside things is only going to support people to be able to do the work they really want to do. Yeah, great. And Sal? Um, I'll start with support. I think the support that I'm going to need as a teacher is the social emotional support for my my kids. Like a lot of times teachers just become default counselors, which yes. is par for the course, but the potential ramification for our kids at this time I needs more than my limited intro to psychology, right? Like kids need more counseling service, more emotional check-in than I think teachers are prepared for or are qualified for, quite frankly. Um, and then what was, what do I need? Or what do you see? How do you see the next, what do you want for the next couple months to happen? I would like for people who have been in the classroom in the last couple of years to be making some decisions, right? I know a lot of times these decisions are made by folks who were in the classroom X number of years ago, which is great, but we're also in this really weird time of holding your expertise in one hand, and no one's been through this before. Mm. And I feel like a lot of times it gets defaulted to, well, I've been teaching for X amount of years. Great. Unless you were teaching during the Spanish influenza that you've never been through. Right, right, right. That's No, but I think that's an interesting point. Do you, so you guys don't feel like you guys are being consulted on what the best options are? I mean, I am because I'm my, in my union. Right. Um, but I think right now unions are, are there to amplify teacher voices and not every teacher's in a union, not every union as, as powerful. Um, so I, I don't think across the board teacher voices are getting heard. Well, I'm happy to, in whatever little way, amplify your voices on the show. And I'm very, very grateful for all of you. And I know we always say thank you for your service to, to military, but I'm thanking you guys for your service because what you guys do is great and it's exhausting and... I hope you guys aren't aging too quickly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And again, thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Need to Talk the Podcast and Twitter at underscore We Need to Talk underscore.